0: I had the confidence to share my voice and people remembered it. And I didn't just sit and agree with what everyone said and never in a mean way. Like I would always sort of like, I default to humor a lot, but people would remember it. And I think we spend so much time time, trying to conform. And then you realize like when you're just yourself, you're so much more comfortable in your own skin. People remember you, your ideas flow better. That was a huge turning point when I was like, wait, all, all along, all I had to do was be me.
1: Welcome to Elevate Your Career, the podcast dedicated to empowering individuals from all walks of life as they navigate the ever-changing landscape of their chosen fields. In this show, we'll be bringing on a diverse range of professionals from various career stages to uncover the secrets behind achieving success in any industry. We'll explore how they achieve their career goals and the path they took to get there. Your host is none other than Nicole Mcmakin. CEO of the Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC, an award-winning information technology solutions and staffing provider. Now let's get to the show.
2: Laura Schwab, welcome to the show. I am so excited you are here. I'm so stoked to be here. This is fun. Yeah, I know. Let's have a good time, right? I know you and I were just dying laughing right before we're going on. I go, okay, let's stop laughing and let's actually get in and and let's do this. Let's bring this together. Let's bring it together. So it was funny. I was, I was thinking about last night and this morning, you know, what we're going to talk about. And, and I was doing a ton of research on you and I thought, okay, I need to have my son who's 21 collegiate athlete, golfer at LMU and my daughter listen to this podcast right because i think you embody many things that are appealing and i know already a lot about your story which i think is so cool and so many people are going to be able to take pearls of wisdom out of each facet of of everything you did from from and i'm going to let you tell the story but Anyway, they're definitely going to be listening to this. And, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking, not only were you a collegiate athlete at one of the top schools in the world, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you are the first female president of a luxury auto brand and coupled known as one of the most humble and effective women leaders in today's market. So tell me a little bit, let's take it back. You know that this whole podcast is devoted to helping individuals elevate their career. And so for the people that may be at the very start of their career journey and could be in college, coming out of college, or it could be for the senior vice president who's looking to move up in the world and become CEO or president in their current organization, I think you and your story spans it all. So let's get into it. Tell me a little bit first. Let's just start with, with you as an individual. Tell me, tell me from the start, right? I know you grew up in Kentucky, but you know, tell me a little bit. Yes, yeah, so I grew
0: up in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a beautiful place to grow up. You know, wonderful family. My dad was a doctor, my mom was a nurse. I have a brother, a sister. At a very young age, um, my parents realized that I was um I would say competitive is probably a conservative way of saying it, maybe overly competitive. Like I was the kid that if I was losing like the Scrabble game, I'd like knock the board over. So no one else could win. <laughs> I know. I think my parents are like, who is this terror that we're raising? So in good news, um, I got into sports. <laughs> and I had watched, you know, I'd watched my parents play tennis for like years. And I was doing all like ballet and piano and, things like that. And I was like, please let me play tennis. And so they said I could start playing tennis when I was 10 years old, which is interesting because so many people start their kids in sports like so young. Yes. Um, I was, it wasn't until 10 that I held a tennis racket and I was like instantly hooked. I mean, just, you couldn't stop me. I was waking up at four something in the morning, going to the courts at 5.00 AM, getting picked up by coaches in the afternoons, after school. And in Kentucky, you know, it's you can't play outside all year long. It's actually kind of a hard place to play a sport like tennis. You got to like work really hard at it. I think, you know, we found out at a young age that I had some talent, but like no one in the family played sports. So we're figuring out how to navigate going to national tournaments. I, We We had no idea what we were doing. I was a really, really hard worker and I had great coaches and a great family supporting me. So I think it was like you know my my senior I I knew I was going you know my goal was to go to college um, to go to Division one school on a tennis scholarship I'd really honed in on that probably when I was like 15 years old probably when you were 10 probably when I was (laughs) 10 when I was tipping over the Scrabble board or throwing out tests where I didn't get perfect scores which are all true stories I was kind of like okay where am I gonna go and I started looking and I'll never forget the second that I walked on the campus at the University of Notre Dame. And it was like, this is the line. It's so interesting, you know, when you, even when you talk to kids like thinking about like where they want to go to college, it does just hit you sometimes. And it was the way the team was, the coach, like how I felt when I was on the campus. So I knew I was, I just, I was like, that's where I'm going. And my criteria was sort of like top 20, 25 academics, top 20 in tennis. And so you start narrowing it down. Um, but that's how I, I ended up at Notre Dame, which brilliant school. I'm so lucky. I went there, go Irish. I'm like a huge fan. Of course, I'm still very connected to the university. Um, but interestingly, you know, I get there and I'm like, I'm playing tennis. Like, that's all I, you know, I always got great grades, but I'm here playing division one sports and really focused, you know, then you're a sophomore. And I don't know if this happened to you, but they're like, well, what do you want your major to be? I'm like, I don't know. I'm 18, maybe 19 years old. And you're like, you need to declare a major. And I'm like, they're like, but I just want to have fun and play tennis and compete and, and beat everybody else. I want to have fun and play tennis. Like maybe go out on a Monday night and drink beer? I don't know. What do I want to do? And and it's a big decision. My dad being a doctor, I was like, well, maybe I'll take the courses you take to be a doctor. And I got like halfway through the calculus course, my freshman year, to like be on track to be a doctor. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work out for me. I said, no. Yeah, it's a hard no
2: with all the math. (laughs) That's a hard no. Yeah. So interesting that this came up because my daughter just this week was called me on the phone and she's She's at the uh, Auburn University, and she says, "You know what, Mom?" And she's in sports management journalism. And so she called me and said, "You know, I think I I want to be a a Peloton coach." And I'm like, "What? A Peloton coach? What are you talking? You're here. You're you're doing this, and you're 18. You're a freshman, and and literally probably three to four days before that, she said, "You know, I'm thinking about being an attorney." I can still relate to this. <laughs> I know, and I think everyone does, and it's. Who has said that an 18-year-old needs to figure it out? Right. Who said that? Right. I like, it. and even when you're 24. Right. right.
0: I'll get there. <laughs> well, you know what too is I, amazing to me when I go back and visit any college campus or I talk to kids like your kids' ages, and everything's like your major, your internships, like it's so intense. And I'm like, you're 18 years old, 19 years old. I mean, I ultimately picked a major that well, it was called government. Now they call it poli-sci.
2: Me too. I was a poli-sci major and it was government.
0: Yes. Government and Spanish. And I'm like, I mean, I really don't, I'm not an expert on the government and my my Spanish, let's just say I'm not fluent. Okay. No offense to University of Notre Dame. I worked really hard, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are your majors, right? Making my way through my four years and then you get to your senior year. Cause my summers, I was playing tennis and I was out there, you know, I wasn't doing an internship and I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do? Wait, like, did you have a dream
2: that you were going to go pro?
0: I thought I might, you know, but I got sort of halfway through and I was like, I'm probably like, I mean, being realistic with myself, I was like, I'm about a half step slow. And, and, you know, I played a few pro tournaments and anyone playing professional sports, well done you, it is hard and yeah. it is tough and it is intense. You know, people were playing for their next meal. They were playing to play the next week. And I was like, Oh, I'm just sort of doing this in the summer between, you know, yeah. going back to school. So I knew that that dream was probably, which is scary for a collegiate athlete. Cause you head into your senior year and you think of all of your years have been dedicated to this sport. And this is probably going to be the end. Yeah. Not most people don't go pro. The percentages are like really low. I was like, well, maybe I'll take the LSAT. I'm like, yes, I'm going to be a lawyer. Why I'm taking the LSAT, I have no (laughs) idea. I'm studying for this thing all fall. I take it. I do pretty well. And I'm like, now, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about this. It wasn't even that I wanted to go to law school. I was so nervous. Like, what are my parents going to tell people I'm doing? Like, I was worried about like, well, they're they're gonna be in Kentucky and people are like, well, what's Laura gonna do after she graduates? So like, I better come up with something, right? So that they can actually tell people. It wasn't even as much for me and they put no pressure on me. It was just this like something, I have to have something.
2: And I think that's, you know, now that you're you're saying this, I really feel like, you know, my whole life I was gonna be an attorney. I feel that I was gonna be an attorney really for the same reasons. I loved and I wanted to help women and I wanted to be a litigator and all of those things. But because my mom was such a strong woman, yes, you know, I wanted to make
0: her proud, like we're both so lucky. We like, I feel like I, you know, was given this like gift of this incredible family, so supportive. They put everything into these kids. And now I'm like, I don't know. what am I going to do? <laughs> and I basically I finished my senior year. and i I decided I want to go back to Kentucky to go to law school. So I went to the University of Kentucky College of Law. That summer, I mean, this is fine. that summer, um, Notre Dame, they took all of the tennis team. We went on this trip to Europe. So we got to like, we went to Wimbledon. We played at Roland Garros. We did all this stuff. I showed up before law school, like the day before it started, my mom had gone and like set up my little apartment. I walk into like first day of law school and everyone's like, like there was an assignment, like and everyone seemingly knew about it. And I was like, I just got back from Italy, like <laughs> tanned. I barely gotten my books. And the first day of law school was literally like, it wasn't an orientation.
2: You were there game on. And where's your stuff? And turn. And where's your stuff that you need to turn in? I barely had
0: like, a, I'm like, do, do you have a notebook? Like, what do you do? How do you do this thing? I said, it's literally like, so, I mean, in my head, I am always like, I'm going to be, it's like legally blonde, you know, I'm going to show up and look, try to look really good. And then it's like, I showed up, I was like, wait, there's an assignment. And how does everyone know this? Right? And I was already like way behind. I think what kind of came crashing down for me in law school, and this isn't just for athletes, it just happens you know, you spent all this effort and like you go to college and I was captain of the team and all this stuff. And then I started law school and I was just another student, um, ill-prepared on day one. And like all of this confidence that I had spent, like my childhood garnering and working so hard for, it's like it vanished in thin air in one semester. I went from like captain of the nerdy tennis team and I'm going to do great things to be like, I'm an okay law student. I don't even think I like it that much. And maybe I'm going to quit. Right. And that was my plan after my first semester. I was like, done. I'm like, I'm out. And I sat down with my dad. And he's like, you never quit anything. Can you just give it one more semester? And I think he knew if I got like a third of the way through, I'd maybe stick with it. Yeah. Which I did. But um, those were probably... I'd say law school, maybe the hardest three years of my life. I think because of the my age, you know, I was young. I went straight from undergrad to law school. I'm 23 years old. Everyone there was older than me. They knew they knew they wanted to be lawyers. They'd interned. I was just like, I didn't know what else to do. And I'll tell you what, if you don't think you want to go to law school, it is very hard. <laughs> don't, don't, don't just go as like a
2: default, you know? And that's what I'm sharing with my daughter, Kate, But. That- In your story, that's really interesting because you're going to law school, you know, the pinnacle of your collegiate career going in and then your identity, right? And so I think part of it was, you know, you're in your first year, you're going through and you're saying, gosh, not only is this hard and I'm probably a little embarrassed because I feel unprepared and these people all really are tenacious and want to be here. And I'm partly doing this because of fallback and I don't really know what I want to do. And that's okay too, but it's scary. could lead into a depression, right? Oh, I think I probably
0: was. I, you know, I have a tendency, like, you know me well enough. I have a tendency to put on a brave face all the time, always act like everything's good. I'm happy. You know, I think that's my personality a bit. I always like growing up in the South, you know, everyone's smiling a lot. And I think I was trying to smile through the pain that I was feeling, the emotions of my own insecurities that I don't know if I'd tapped into for a long time. Um, I wasn't the best. You know, I wasn't even close to the best. And I wasn't used to that. Not like I was great at everything. But I had this thing that I was really good at. tennis. Right. right. It was gone. My confidence shattered. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends at the time. You know, back then it was hard to keep up with people. You know, we said goodbye to someone at college, you never knew. What the hell happened with them? There's no social media. So right. there wasn't so oh, let me fall back with like my Notre Dame friends, they'll make me feel better. It's like here I am. Yeah. i look at pictures of myself. I look at my law school graduation. It's like I don't even know if I recognize that person.
2: Yeah.
0: So I graduate and I'm like, I'm gonna be a lawyer, I guess. And I like start working, like doing contract law for a couple months and I think I just had this, like, I can't do this. You know, my, my parents are like, what do you mean? You can't do this. I'm like, They're like,
2: we just spent $200,000 on a law degree. What the hell do you mean? You're not going to choose. And
0: they were so good to us. Like they wanted to make sure we weren't like, we didn't have all these like student loans, you know? So like they did, they paid for me to go to law school. And I was like, I don't think I want to be a lawyer. They're like, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know. And how old are you now? I was 24 when I graduated from law school. So then that summer, I just turned 25. Okay. I had like a friend or two that lived in California. I mean, and imagine you live in Louisville, Kentucky. California feels very different, very far. Like I didn't have a lot of exposure to California, but it just it felt like maybe it could like reawaken me somehow. I don't know. And I just like had this like calling, like I need to leave Kentucky. If I stay here, I'm gonna be a lawyer, like be unhappy, but I don't want this. And I, I did feel like there's got to be something else in me. So I literally packed up my stuff. I think about it now. I'm like, what the hell was I doing? I packed up my stuff. I moved to California and, um, lived with a friend and then you start trying to get a job and, um, it's amazing, you know, and I've promised myself when I hire people, I would never say this, start applying for jobs. And they look at your like resume and they're like, Oh, well, what, what have you actually done? I'm like, well, I played a lot of tennis and, um, gone to a lot of school. They're like, oh, but you just don't have any experience. I'm like, no shit. I am trying to get experience. Yeah. Nobody would hire me. Cause it's like, you need someone to just take a chance on you on that first job. Like they just got to have a feeling about you. I couldn't get a job. So I start like working at a temp agency. Like I'm a, I was like, please hire me as an executive assistant. like, you've got a law degree. Like we're not going to hire you as an executive. Like, I am so diligent. I will do this. Anyway, I'm getting ready to move back to Kentucky. I started applying for jobs to be a lawyer again. And I saw an ad. I think it was on like monster.com, which obviously doesn't exist anymore, but it's like growing on like a website. And the ad said, looking for hardworking. You got that. Ding, ding. Yes. Energetic. Very much so. And then it was like, da 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 internet. I was like, oh no. I don't have that. I don't. That's a third of the thing. You know, this isn't like, like, I'm really nice. I work hard. Where's that checkbox? Like that's not on there. Come on. Anyway, I was like, I'm just going to, Apply and try to get a job at this because I don't even know what they do. Like, I didn't even know what the business was. Oh I know I'm in San Diego, California. We talk about like not being prepared. Like, I couldn't even walk in and talk about what they did. I know they, they sort of didn't say, you couldn't research stuff back then very well. So <laughs> I walk in the door of this little company in San Diego off of Grand Garnett Boulevard and Pacific Beach. And I walk in the door and they were like, Oh, okay, well, you've got a lot of education. I was like, I do. I said, but, you know, I've just, I'm you know, ready to get in there and start my first job. And they're like, well, what do you know about cars? And I was like, cars? I was like, I love cars. I'm like, I have a Volkswagen Jetta. <laughs> <And> <laughs> owning a Volkswagen Jetta, it doesn't mean you're not into cars, but it d- isn't like usually the initial signal that you're like a huge car person.
2: Well, and Laura, I'm, now I know why I feel like you and I are sisters because I too owned a Volkswagen Jetta. Everyone did. Yes. it was a start. I'm telling you, I was quite proud of that car.
0: Me but too. Everyone. And then they asked me what I know about the internet. And I said, I don't. I said, look, I am like a really fast learner. I will do anything. You know, I, I'm really looking for a job. So they don't say anything. I go and I stand up and I walk to the door and the head of HR comes out and she's like, look, our CEO just said, this was like, don't let that brain get to that door, make her an offer. And I was like, wait, I'm going to get a job. <laughs> like you are. And I was like, what is it? And like, we'll figure it out. You're going to help us. We've got this thing, you know, we're selling cars online. I'm like, I'll do anything. And they're like, we are going to pay you $20,000 and all these stock options. And I was like, I don't really know what a stock option is. Cause I did not go to business school, but $20,000 sounds like a lot of money to me. Okay. Take note. It's not. Yeah. Take note.
2: It's
1: not That's a, a lot no of money go <laughs> in the late
0: nineties in San Diego, California.
1: Are you ready to break barriers and become the next CIO in the tech world? Here's the exciting news. We've custom designed a groundbreaking course specifically for female executives interested in becoming CIOs. And the best part, it's absolutely free. This women's leadership course is the first of its kind to support female leaders in technology. The program delves into real life scenarios that CIOs face daily whether they're leading small enterprises or vast Fortune 500 companies. So if you're a manager, director, or VP of technology, this course is a perfect fit for you. Current CIOs and technology leaders will take you on a 15-week journey, guiding you through a 360-degree view of what it takes to be a CIO the pragmatics of implementing IT governance, the foundations of C-suite level project management and portfolios, and so much more. Ready to take a leap of faith in your career? Go to www.irvinetechcorp.com forward slash program and the link is in the description box. If you wanna contribute to a more inclusive and equitable tech world for women, you can start at www.irvinetechcorp.com forward slash program. Join us in our next course for the Women in Leadership program and be part of this exciting journey. Now back to the show.
0: Well, I took the job and I found out that the company sold cars online, like way ahead of its time, made configuration technology. I start working there and they kind of are just teaching me everything. Like I was learning how to code. Um, I was I think I was like the 11th or 12th employee, but I wasn't making enough money. So I had to work like, and I didn't want to ask my parents for money because they had paid for me to go to law school. I had made this transition. So I worked night jobs, helped people like this one guy in town, like balance his books. What do I know? I'm like, am I even a business major? My best job, I always think my funniest job is at night. I would, um, you heard of like, you know, like I Tony Horton, he was like a motivational speaker. Oh, beach bot. Is no, that's not Beach Body, is it? Am I thinking? Oh is that Tony? Oh Tony Robbins, yes, Tony Robbins, Tony yeah. Horton's Beach Body, Tony oh, Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins. yes, yes. Motivational speaker yes, guy, right? Yes, yes. So he like even he existed back then. This is like before he was in Shallow How. Anyway, this guy, I would go in at night as the intern and I would write responses to the fan mail that he would receive. They paid me to do this. So like people would say like, "Oh, I went to your conference, you changed my life. Like Tony Robbins, you're like the greatest thing ever." And they would give me the template and I was supposed to sit there and type it and I was like, "Well, we can do better than that." Like these people think you changed their life, so I would write these like huge elaborate have uh-huh. responses to their fan mail. And he came in once and was like, who's writing all the long letters? And I was like, oh, I mean that's me. me. I know. He's like, they're very beautiful, but, but we don't need to say quite so much. You're quite <laughs> anyway, verbose. I, like, I went to law school. I got a lot to say. So I worked three jobs as I worked at the startup company. But the startup company was my main job. And they sold cars online. And that is how I got into the auto industry, which is very random. I did not dream of being in auto. Do not dream of being in business. I was like, I just don't want to be a lawyer.
2: Right. And you know, it's funny, is to me, automobiles, like, ah, I don't know if that's the sexiest job, right? Like, my husband works, you know, in a, a plumbing company. We joke all the time that's not super sexy, but he's always like, yeah. Your shit, it's my bread and butter, like laughing, right? Like, you know, he's the president of this huge company. They don't build a lot of commercial things, and we just kind of joke goodness
0: They do. We need them to. Right. I I mean, that's the thing, you know, it's just, again, I think when you're young, like you're imagining, like, what am I, the funny thing is, I was always like, what am I going to tell people? Not even like, what am I doing and what's fulfilling me? I was so worried about perception as much as actually like what I was doing. But anyway, you never know who you're going to meet in life. So, I'm working there and a guy I work with, he was like probably a like the digital pioneer in automotive and automotive is a huge industry. Um, It's sort of been stuck in a certain way of doing things for a very long time. Still, there are still some things that you look at in auto. You're like, how have they not progressed that? But this guy was sort of this digital pioneer and he got a job at Land Rover. And when he left, I was devastated. And he was like, look, I know you think... You're gonna be a multimillionaire. And I really hope that for you. Cause we we were believing this. Like, we're gonna like make all this money. And he's like, I think I can maybe get you a job at Land Rover. He's like, look, it's a contract job. You're not a full-time employee. You need to take advice from me. I care about you. And I was like, I don't know. I think I should say at the startup. And he's like, You probably should listen to me. And I didn't have other people, you know, like because my dad is a doctor. Like, I I didn't have anyone back home to go to for like business advice. And this friend of mine, Dean Evans, I'm still very, very good friends with him. He was one of he's been a mentor of mine for my the entirety of my career. Um, but I said, okay, I guess I'll take this job with Land Rover. Land Rover was based in Washington D.C. at the time. I said, do I have to move? Am I leaving California? He's like, no. He's like, I think we're moving out to California. Just are going to commute to D.C. for like two years. Wow, Southern California. And my first job at Land Rover was a contract position, and i they brought me in to basically build their first website. Like think about this a year and a half before, I didn't even know what the internet was. I'm helping to build the first website and then put like it's called configuration technology. You know where you go online, and you pick all your colors and all that stuff to put that technology on the website and help people like pre-order this car online. And I always say to my mom and dad, I used my law degree precisely once. I wrote my contract for employment at Land Rover because they didn't have any contractors. And so they were like, well, you're a lawyer. So I wrote a contract for myself and it was like, reimburse me for, I was so focused on my meals. It wasn't even about the money. I was like, can you reimburse me for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? You're like, I make $20,000 a year. Because I was like, I starve the last week of every month.
2: So I was kind of like, let's focus on the food side. Right, right. The things that are nutrients. That (laughs) was important. So I can sit at my desk and actually do these things a 27 year old. But I got to tell you at that age, those are things that are important. And those are the things that you're looking at. You're looking at, you know, not even healthcare, right? I would always look at, Hey, I'm young. I'm, nothing's going to happen to me. Totally. I wasn't even, I
0: don't think I had enough savvy to even know what a thought a salary should look like, you know what I'm saying? Or a package. So I was like, cause I was making so little at the startup, literally the last week of the month I would eat rice and beans. So I'm like, Wow, maybe they'll help reimburse if I'm
2: traveling. They'll reimburse me for for food. That was what that was my focus. And then you're the you know later part of the month, you're you're in DC all the time because you need meals, right? I don't think I'm going to go back to California. I'll just stay out here in this hotel. It's really right. Comfortable.
0: They make <laughs> up my bed. <laughs> So that's how I got to Landover, but it's I know it's sort of a long story, but it's a bit convoluted because it's so you couldn't write the script, right? Like even if you tried. There's no way to write the script of like working three jobs, walking the door of a startup, not able to get a job, and the company happens to sell cars online.
2: What you haven't really said or alluded to is still to this day, automotive industry very male dominated, and you are a woman. And how you become president, the first president of a high-end Aston Martin automobile. I mean, it's amazing how, not only your whole story, but how did you go from Land Rover to there? I started Land
0: Rover. I, they ultimately, well, I was going to lose my job because Ford bought Land Rover. And they were like, what contract are you on? I was like, my own. And they're like, "Um, that's not a thing. It's a sustenance contract for a food. Contract. Let's focus on the important things in life. So they gave me my first real job which was um, called Data Entry. That was my first real job as a Landover employee. But they were like, you can keep doing all the other stuff you're doing. I didn't negotiate more money. I didn't negotiate anything. They were just like, here's a thing. And I'm like, looks good. Um, Because like my whole thing was like, I finally got a job. I just don't want to get fired. As time went on, you know, it's like, what I found is I would just, I didn't know how to do Excel spreadsheets. So I took Excel classes at night, those first few years. Oh, Yeah. I didn't want anyone to know. I kind of felt like, look, I'm an imposter in this whole thing. Like that whole imposter syndrome thing is real. I had it big time because all these kids that were sort of my age had just gotten their MBAs at like USC and UCLA. And here I am like, I don't even know how to work a spreadsheet. I was kind of so scared those first few years, like they're going to find me out. Right. They're going to find me out. And they're going to be like, how the hell did we hire this woman? I then sort of realized like, okay, I actually maybe have something to offer. But what I did realize is like when I would start looking around and, you know, this is a time of like, everyone had a corner office and like those, all the really important people are in these corner offices. And I'd be like, who's in that office? It'd be like, oh, another like middle-aged white guy in a suit. I'm kind of like, okay, well, that's who gets those jobs. I'm definitely not that. I'm probably never going to have one of those jobs. And I was okay with it. I was like, my goal was like, someday I'll just be a manager. And if I could be a manager that would be like a huge accomplishment because it was hard to become a manager. Like people think you're going to become a manager in your first year. It took years. And I was putting limits on myself. Like I was putting mental limits on myself of what I thought was possible in the industry. I don't even think I knew I was doing it, but I was. Then I had some people, again, you go back to these mentors and this guy, Dean, and this other guy, like jobs would open, a job opened up in Boston and no one wanted to leave Southern California. Cause like here it was January And they had a policy that they had to hire someone that was like inside the company before they went to recruit external. I was the only person that applied because no one wanted to move. And so it was my first manager job. And I was like, and it was to like move. And I was going to work in the field with the dealers. I don't even know anything. I mean, I was so not qualified for this job, but they had a policy that they had to hire me and that's how I became a manager. So I packed my bags and I moved to Boston by myself. I didn't know anyone in Boston. It was January and snowing. And I left Orange County, California. It's because no one, no one
2: applied for the job out of thousands of employees. That's amazing. And you know what's so interesting about you and your story is we talk about, and you know, Laura, I run that women in leadership course. The largest thing holding women back that we all suffer from, right? Is number one, imposter syndrome. Number two is we lack the confidence to move ourselves forward because we feel like we have to have it all dialed in. So you are the antithesis of that. You don't have anything dialed in, but you are willing to go in and take a chance. And just, and and I speak often to women about if you would only apply, just apply. Just apply. And I think, you know, I needed someone to say like,
0: look, one of the VPs was like, here's the thing you don't know shit about the auto industry. He's like, but you're going to learn. And he's like, all you have to do is don't make up stuff. Just be honest in the conversations. And if you tell someone you're going to get back in touch with them, get back in touch with them. He's like, you're going to do great. And I was like, I don't know anything. He's like, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of appreciated the honesty, but you're right. You know, I think as women, we look at a job description, you know, there's all these statistics on this. Like women look at a job description and it's like. Oh, but five to seven years experience. I only have two. I guess I can't apply. A man could look at that and be like, I'm in. Like yeah. it's just, I think it's just a difference in, you know, in gender and personalities. But like I used to do the thing like, let me look for every single thing and then I'll apply. And I think at this time in my career, what I started to learn is that what made me stand out is I didn't act like everyone else. I didn't talk like everyone else. I didn't look like everyone else. And I can talk about that later, but that became an important theme in my career. So I get this job as far as like, I was the only female field representative at the time that region had never had a woman. And all the, my other colleagues were all men. They were so good to me. They taught me the ropes. They train me all the stuff. Like it was incredible, but I still was like, well, this is the, this is the pinnacle for me. An important lesson that I learned. And it was in that job in Boston is I started thinking like, well, you know what? I actually think I could maybe make it to the next level. I want to know what else is out there for me. No one was approaching me. And I'm kind of like, well, why aren't they asking me? These jobs are opening up. Like, why isn't anyone asking me? I finally, I contacted the VP and he's like, "Oh, we just thought you were really happy. And I was like, oh, okay. So you can't just assume everyone's out there looking out for you. Like you've got to raise your hand and like tell people what you want. Like you can't assume that they're going to know. And I said, I really want to be... I really want to be a general manager, and he's like, "Okay, well, we didn't know this. We'll start applying for jobs." I start applying for general manager jobs. I get turned down from all of them. Important thing: when you get turned down from jobs, especially like when you're like in the same company, at first I'd be like, I get all upset. I go home, be like, "I'm never. It's never going to happen for me." And then I started saying, like, well, "Why? Like, what? What do I not have that you're looking for in this position?" And sometimes it would be a skill set that I didn't have yet. So then I'd go get it. Right.
2: Absolutely. And then I'd
0: try again. And it's like, okay, well, you don't know anything about financial services. I'm like, you're right. So then I'd find a way. And I'm like, I worked with the financial services team for the last six months, you know, and I set up extra time with them so I could really understand it. Every time I didn't get something and I got turned down, I'd ask the question, not to be antagonistic, more just like, hey, so I can get there someday. like. What do I not have? Like, what am I lacking? Brilliant, And that became really important. Working my way up, it became important in negotiating my salary. I finally started like saying like, no, I don't
2: think that's enough. Right. And they were like, oh, you're probably right. I'm like, wait, is this how it works? Right. I bring it out and, and guess what? You know, you, you don't ever get what you don't ask for you have to ask for it i agree absolutely and you know it's it's so fantastic hearing your story because i think it is so relevant to what happens on a day-to-day basis not only to women but to a multitude of of individuals you need to ask the question why did i not get the job what was i lacking so i can do better so i can go out and be prepared next time when that position opens up Exactly. I finally become a general manager, not because I got the
0: job. A guy, a different guy, got the job, and then he decided he wanted to move back somewhere. And so I went to the VP's office, and I was like, "You're in a real bind." I was like, "You thought you had the person." I was like, "You know, I applied for a job." He's like, "I know." He's like, "You were really close." And I've said, "Give me the job. Give me 90 days. If I don't do a good job, you can demote me. You can fire me. Give me a chance." Nice. They didn't have another alternative. And so I sometimes I'm like, I can't believe I, again, I had the confidence to think of like in five, six, seven years to go from like, I don't know anything to then say, just give me this chance. And he did. Um, And 60 days in, he's like, I can't believe I ever doubted you, which was great to hear.
2: Oh yeah. And part of you, right. And what our listeners don't know about you. And obviously if they look up your profile and they read all the magazines, the interviews that you've done is you are so humble, but you are incredibly bright and such a hard worker. And I'm grateful to, to know you personally and and see that every day. And so, you know, this is not a fluke. Because I, I used to say it was luck.
0: And then someone's like, stop saying it's luck. Like it's you, not. you worked hard, you put your time in and you know, I think for the the women out there listening to this, like people would start asking me because I like, I start working my way up and then I get asked like, do you want to move to the UK? Like, do you want to do an international assignment? And I, I always was like, because I was single forever. I was like, yes, I will do it. I think the reason why people really started noticing me, like the first few years of my career, I was like, what's everyone wearing? What do they all look like? What are these men wearing? What are these women wearing? What notebooks do they have? What pen do they have? I'd go into the boardroom, I'd sit in the back seat. I'd try to just look like I fit in. And finally, I was like, I'm sick of sitting in the second row. And I know there's so much written about this, but I felt like that. And I finally was like, I'm just going to sit at the, I'm sitting at the table. You know, I don't always look like everyone else. I don't dress like everyone else. And I like always sort of had a, I call it like my pink sparkly notebook, but I never carried like the navy blue, like book that everyone had. And I didn't talk like everyone else, but people started, my voice started ringing out a little bit louder than others because I was offering different opinions. I didn't say it the exact same way. And it was like, the second I had the confidence just to be me and stop trying to imitate everything I saw around myself, th- that is when people recognized me. So by the time I got to the UK, because I moved over there to run marketing for Land Rover and ultimately was the head of marketing for both Jaguar and Land Rover. I had the confidence to share my voice and people remembered it. And I didn't just sit and agree with what everyone said and never in a mean way. Like I would always sort of like, I default to humor a lot, but people would remember it. And I think we spend so much time trying time, time to conform. And then you realize like when you're just yourself, you're so much more comfortable in your own skin. People remember you. Your ideas flow
2: better. That was a huge turning point when I was like, wait, all all along, all I had to do was be me. Right. And I think that's something, right? Because you're different. You stand out. And so it's interesting. I was reading an article about you in Inc. Magazine and you were criticized for being too nice. Yes. You were the president who was too nice. What say you? What? Still get that. (laughs) I think that for me, the
0: career trajectory... It all came down to like the people I was surrounded by, the team. And so I'm always the first to be like, the team did it. It wasn't me. If it was like, we want someone to accept this award. I never did. It was always the team, you know, because we do none of this alone in business or in life. But sometimes I I, I heard once you smile too much. No one will ever take you seriously. Oh, my gosh. That's ridiculous. I know. And I was like, well, if that's true, then there's like way bigger problems than my smile. Right. You know, as like that became what people knew about me, I was like, that's a great thing. Because, you know, in business, and I see women do this particularly, because we're all fighting for the same chair. That's right. There's one chair in that boardroom. I'm good if you're bad. I'm good if you don't know as much. I'm good if I don't share information with you. We got to now fight to get to that chair. And it's like, no, what if we add a chair? What if we replace a chair? Like that can't be. And I think that comes from a bit from playing sports too. You go nowhere without other people. And so I've been very vocal about people not beating each other down because for a business, and you know this in business, your team is singing when they are sharing stuff and the teams are coming together and they're not trying to posture themselves up for whatever executive so that they get to win with the best idea. It's like our job is for this whole collective, like we don't succeed alone. And, but, but to hear that, you know, it's like, we well, you're too nice. And I'm always like, I will take that.
2: Yeah. You take it all day long. And, you know, and, it, and it's, don't be confused with my niceness that I'm not a top tier executive that knows what I'm talking about and what I'm looking for. And and I I won't say when this happened, but you know that my absolute favorite story that you tell, you can't see this, but she's actually laughing right now. I can tell the story. I don't have to say where I was working. Okay. Go ahead and tell it because I think this is an incredible story and especially for someone who was always criticized, Oh, you're so nice. You're the nice president, but go and tell it. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Working on a brand, went to a meeting, a really big presentation.
0: And there was a lot of people in the room and lots of agencies and everyone's there and they're like really excited. They like, this whole thing gets presented. And these people did put a lot of work in, but it was just like, not at all what I imagined, like not even anywhere close to it. And I just sat there, like I couldn't, I was so sort of stunned, I couldn't say anything. And I just like, they finished the presentation. I was like, I'm just going to act like this meeting did not happen. <laughs> and, up, and I walked out of the room. I'm like, that was it. Like I didn't say anything. I was like, oh my gosh, those poor people. Like, <laughs> I like, sat in there, like,
2: wait, what just occurred? Right. She's sitting here. We're doing a huge presentation, and you just sit there quietly instead of saying something horribly mean. Or you know, you just said, I'm just gonna pretend like this meeting didn't happen. I'll see you in a week. It is just the best. And, you know, and I think that says so much, right? You don't need to rip people to shreds, but no,
0: we didn't want to, you know? And I think that's where, but, you know, too, as you go through your career, like I, I think about like the leader I became in Aston Martin was probably different than the leader I was at Jaguar Land Rover. I mean, that's the thing that like, you never stop learning. Like when I got that role at Aston Martin, I was like, are these guys joking? They actually want me to run this car company. Yeah. President of the Americas, right? Three weeks into it. I find out I'm pregnant. Like, we weren't planning on having children. You know, I was like, they've taken a risk on me. I don't even think I know enough. Like, back to my imposter syndrome, like, I don't know enough to be president of Aston Martin. I now find out I'm pregnant. There's, I'm the only woman. I got to call the CEO after my first trimester and be like, hey, just want to talk to you about something. He's like, you're not happy. I was like, no, no, I'm loving it. It's great. I've got so much to learn. You know, we're working on the team. I'm like, I'm pregnant. He's like, (laughs) We weren't expecting that. I'm like, yeah, me either. 42 years old, pregnant with my first child. So my, my first year at Aston Martin, you know, I'm like running a car company. I'd moved from England to California. My husband's getting his visa. So we're not even in the same country. I saw him like twice.
2: In that first year, didn't you grow that business by
0: 15% or I mean, crazy. We grew by like 50%. We became the UK had always been the largest market. We became the largest market. Importantly, I started becoming very vocal. I was like Aston Martin hires women because women weren't applying. I couldn't hire anyone because they weren't applying. Right. All of a sudden, women started applying for jobs at Aston Martin. I changed my leadership team, became over 50% female. There hadn't been any. I'm really proud of all of that. But you know, that that team ended up being, I mean, I still have like lunch with these people and dinner with
2: them all the time. Like, I'm really close. Amazing. And you're an amazing, amazing leader. Just your whole story, right? And we should probably, Laura, seriously do another podcast because there's so many things that I can dive into and and want to extract for our listeners. Like, you know, your collegiate time, lessons learned, law school, working in a man's world, right? In the automotive industry, how you became successful, how you built teams. And I know this, you had a, a lot of people looking at you very stringently and how you succeeded and won them over and how you put together new teams and eliminated just dysfunctional teams.
0: The most important thing you can do in learning how to interview and hire people and build a team. If you, I always say this, you're looking for people that care as much about the person next to them as they care about themselves. And you've got to figure out how to do that in the interview process to figure out that personality trait, right? And it's hard because, you know, by the time you get, I'm sure you see this, Nicole, like by the time the resume gets to you, like enough people have looked at it, like they've got all the stuff, right? They've done all the things. So what is it that you're looking for by the time it gets to you? And, you know, you're building this like fabric of a group of people that collectively will hopefully want mutual success. I mean, it's all of it for me, you know, I think the stories. I didn't know anything. It's just like a journey of discovery. And um, like, fortunately, I opened myself up to to look around and I, you know, mentors are great. I don't think people know what mentors are. Find someone awesome that you know that you can say anything to um, that you respect. In the, in the company or outside? It can be in or out. You know, I started in the company, um, but then it was helpful having people outside the company. Um, I really needed a mix of both men and women. That was really important to me and still is. And I love mentoring people because just like, you know, you love helping people. And the fact that you're, Nicole, the fact that you're doing this podcast, because you're so passionate about this and it says so much about you and all that you've created and then wanting to like always do more. And this doesn't surprise me that you always want to do more because you care so much about people. And, um, the fact that you'd want to talk to me about it is cool. So thanks.
2: Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> I, and you're the same way, right? So we all are like, what we can do is make our world better. And you do that by helping people. And if this helps a few people in their trajectory in their lives, my God, we've all done a great thing, right? So but Laura, thank you so much. You're an incredible woman, incredible mother. We didn't even get to talk about your beautiful daughter, but you know, thanks so much. And you've been a kick. You're you're hilarious, by the way. I love you. I feel so blessed to know you.
0: And um, you know, for all the listeners, like thanks for listening to this woman. Let me tell you, she knows what she's talking about. Listen to the podcast. Each episode's gonna be great. You can skip through part of mine. I might come back on. Who the hell knows? You are. You're going to
2: be my new sidekick host. (laughs) It would be so fun. Anyway, thanks, Laura. Okay. Have a good one. Good to see you. You too. Okay. Bye.
1: I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Elevate Your Career podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you're listening to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them. Are posted on your social media to share with your friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links in the description of this episode. Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC, excels at finding top tier tech professionals and matching them with businesses. Whether you're an employer with tech opportunities or a tech professional searching for the perfect role, ITC is your go-to solution. Visit www.irvinetechcorp.com for more information. Once again, It's www.irvine-techcorp.com. We'll see you on the next episode.